Good morning, family. Welcome to today's podcast. I'm Fernando. I'm your host. I'm here sitting in the couch, opening up the windows for the birds and stuff, getting ready to do a, a walk, go get my favorite coffee and take a nice walk and get some air in early in the morning. It's a brisk walk so we can get enjoy burning a few calories. Right now, let's go ahead and uh, open our session with the Lord's Prayer, please. We're going to be doing a couple of readings from Faith to Faith, our book, Bible College Curriculum, it is. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, Lord God, that you are our Father, you're in heaven. We thank you for your great love and your concern for us, Lord. Thank you, Lord God, that you promised us that you'll continually be with us. We will never be alone. You carry us in your presence and always walk with us, Lord. Thank you, Lord God, for allowing us to participate in your kingdom with your children for your glory and your honor. In Jesus' mighty name and all of God's people say amen and amen. All right, June, we're going to start off with June 1st and then go all the way up to June 3rd. Since today's June the 3rd, I've been traveling, went to Sacramento, visited my friend and his dog, 82-year-old guy, took him to repair his washer, and all it was was just in the finishing touches. He had everything accomplished by other friends by the time I got there. All right, Proverbs 3, 5 or 6, and that's an 82-year-old man that I met that, used, that was uh, a gold digger. <laughs> Sort of, he, uh, 49er, the actual 49er. He lived in the in the riverbed, and they dredged gold out of there. And I met him in Sacramento, and it was really interesting. Here we go, the great escape. Proverbs 3, 5 to 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your path. Once you start stepping out in faith and walking in the Spirit, the devil will see to it that you have ample opportunity to fall flat on your spiritual face. He'll try to get you into some jams where there appears to be no way out. But take it from me as one who's been there. If you look to God and trust His wisdom instead of your own, He'll always show you a way of escape. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Not only that, but he'll do it in such a way that he'll get the glory and you'll have the last laugh on the devil. I remember one particular Wednesday night in Wichita Falls, Texas, where I was faced with just such a situation. I was preaching on the reality of the righteousness of God, and the anointing was really strong. Just as my message reached its climax moment, a woman in the audience suddenly burst forth in tongues. I told her to stop three times, but she only continued to grow louder. By the time she hushed, the anointing had gone and the message was forgotten. So I looked at the woman sternly and began to correct her for being out of order. There was a a man sitting next to her, spoke up and said, Brother Copeland, she is stone sober. She can't hear a word you're saying. Oh, At that point, I had no idea what to do. Not only had my sermon been shattered, but the whole congregation was mad at me for 
getting onto that poor deaf woman. I found out later the man next to her uses her to disrupt services and run preachers out of town. When the service reached a high point, he punched her and tell her it was her turn to prophesy. So I just stopped a moment and I got quiet and waited for the Lord to tell me what to do. Sure enough, he told me, he said, call her up and lay hands on her and I'll open her ears. Talk about turnaround. When God healed that woman's ears, he turned that disaster into one of the most powerful anointed meetings I had ever had. Everyone was blessed. Next time the devil tries to back you into a corner, get quiet. Ask God to show you the way of escape. He'll bring you out in victory every time. Amen. Scripture for that reading is Acts chapter 14, verses 8 through 22. Acts chapter 14, verses 8 through 22. While they were in Lystra, Paul and Barnabas came upon a man with crippled feet. He had been that way from birth, so he had never walked. He was listening as Paul preached, and Paul noticed him and realized he had faith to be healed. So Paul called to him in a loud voice, Stand up! And the man jumped up to his feet and started walking. When the listening crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in a local dialect, These men are gods in human bodies. They decided that Barnabas was the Greek god Zeus and that Paul, because he was the chief speaker, was Hermes. The temple of Zeus was located on the outskirts of the city. The priests of the temple and the crowd brought oxen and rafts of flowers, and they prepared a sacrifice to the apostles at the city gates. But when Barnabas and Paul heard what was happening, they tore their clothing in dismay and ran among the people, shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We are merely human beings like yourselves. We have come to bring you the good news that you should turn from these worthless things to the living God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. In earlier days, he permitted all the nations to go their own ways, but he never left himself without a witness. There was always his reminder, such as sending you rain and good crops and giving you food and joyful hearts. Interesting that these are the reminders that there's a loving God. Good crops, good work, giving us food for the table and joyful hearts for our hard work. But even so, Paul and Barnabas could scarcely restrain the people from sacrificing to them. Scarcely. Now some Jews arrived from Antioch and Iconium and turned the crowds into a murderous mob. They stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, apparently dead. But as the believers stood around him, he got up, went back into the city. The next day he left with Barnabas for Derby. I don't know if I got this right. I thought it was Acts 14, 8 to 22. That's where I'm at. Okay, let's keep reading. After preaching the good news in, in Derby and making many disciples, Paul and Barnabas returned again to Lystra, Econom, and Antioch of Poseidon, where they where they were strength, they strengthened the believers, they encouraged them to continue in the faith, 
reminding them that they must enter into the kingdom of God through many tribulations. Wow. Talk about tribulations. Talk about something falling apart. It's something going so good. You think the person's listening to your message and they turn around and they talk about you or they, you, you told them some vulnerable thing about yourself. And now they're spreading it out and you're saying, where's the justice? Amen. So I'm here. The Spirit of God is here among us telling us to strengthen us, the believers. Incur, incur, incredible article. Ask God for the way and the strength. And if you're sick, there's hope to be to have faith to get healed. That's what we're doing here. We're filling up our hopper so we can have faith to be healed. So we so throughout the day we'll be our spirits will be calling upon God and reminiscing on these words we talked about. Now let's read a little commentary here. It says the crowd at Lystra erroneously thought Paul and Barnabas were Greek gods. The missionaries were horrified by such badly mistaken identification and sadly misplaced worship. They quickly sought to clear up the misunderstanding. Soon after this, Jews from the neighboring towns of Echionium persuaded the locals that Paul was a charlatan. As a result, Paul was nearly killed, but God intervened to spare his life. The people of Lystra changed their attitudes and opinions about God very quickly and on a very little evidence. While our emotions will be touched by our spiritual renewal, we must make sure that our faith is based on truth. The truth is found in God's word. These crowds were led astray because they were following outward signs and the influence of persuasive people. Our spiritual growth cannot be dictated by such unreliable influences. Our spiritual growth cannot be dictated by such unreliable influence. Our spiritual growth must come from the Word of God, people. And that's what we're doing now. We're filling up our hopper with the Word of God. Thank God, thank God. Let me uh, take a look at... Well, that's good enough. Let's go ahead and move on to the next reading, which is June 2nd. This is from Gloria Copeland. The last one was from Kenneth. Psalms 33.1, the Amplified Bible says, Rejoice in the Lord, O you uncompromisingly righteous, you upright and right standing with God, for praise is becoming inappropriate for those who are upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, you that are right standing with God, for praise is becoming, it makes you handsome and beautiful, and it's appropriate for us who are upright in heart. Amen. Psalm 33.1. Praise according to the word of God. That's the most appropriate becoming thing that you as a believer can do. Let me warn you though. God's ideas of appropriate praise and your ideas of appropriate praise may well be two different things. The praise he calls for is joyous and uninhibited. And at times it's just plain loud. If you don't believe it, look the, in the Bible and see the kind of praise that goes on in heaven. Read Isaiah 6 and find out how they act in the throne room. The seraphim shout in there until the doorposts shake. And when they do, the glory of the Lord fills the house. When you go to heaven, you're going to be praising like that too. You're going to be leaping and praising God with every part of your being. 
But don't wait until then to start. Begin now. Decide today that instead of praising God the way you like, you are going to start doing it the way He likes. Begin to release those praise joyously, uninhibitedly. Don't wait until you get to heaven to praise God with all your being. Do it now. Hallelujah. He deserves it. And thy reading for today is Isaiah chapter 6, 1 through 8. Let's go ahead and go over there. Chapter 6, 1 through 8. Huh. I only got a giant Bible on my lap. Then I have my coffee table. I don't want it to get dusty. <laughs> Matter of fact, I got, yeah, just got one. And we downsized. We had to put some away. There's just too many Bibles. Isaiah. Where is Isaiah? There it is. Isaiah 6. 1 through 8. Here we go. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, a high and exalted. And the train of the, his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. Can you say that with me? Say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. One more time. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Say that. The whole earth is full of his glory. Right, let's go ahead and say it all together. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. We just declared, we just prophesied, we just dictated our, our coming moments and minutes ahead of us. It could be hours, it could be weeks, it could be eternally. We've spoken the, the live word of God, the word of God that is alive and we have willfully allowed it to become alive in our lives, in our in our realm. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the serfs flew to me with a live coal in his hands, which he had taken with tongues from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sins atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord say, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. Amen. The word of the Lord. Interesting that as we read this and say, holy, 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 
Our holiness is taking place in us. We are, we are being touched with coals on our lips, and we're cleaning cleansed from all our sin. We're becoming the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus. Amen. I believe that. You believe that? Let's see if another Bible has a commentary on that. Let's take a quick look. And then we have one more reading after that today, which is our fulfilling of the law, which is we're amplifying the Word of God. I'm going to go ahead and take a walk. I'm trying to challenge myself if my feet can take it to go for a walk at least 10 miles a day for the next seven days. I... uh, I usually have trouble with a busted toe, something broken in my lip. And I keep speaking faith to it and praying for it. It gets better, but it then, it, so we'll see if this prayer worked the last time. I'll report to you. But I was wondering what I should be listening to as I walk. And now I know that the Lord wants me to listen to his praise music. Sure enough, Let's read chapter 6. Isaiah's recognition of his own sinfulness did not disqualify him from a relationship with God and a life of service to him. In contrast, it set the stage for the cleansing and commission into service. When we hide our sins and failures, we negate the possibility of real recovery. When we admit them, God can cleanse us, restore us, and use us. You know, when we sing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies, the whole earth is filled with his glory. You know, you're, you're, you're uh, saying that there's nothing better than for this sinful man to, to do than to cry out into the heavenly Father. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. One more time. Let's say it together. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Amen. And our thank God now that we're cleansed. It's gone into our souls. It's gone into our choice. And we are cleansed. We are made whole. In Christ Jesus, nothing missing, nothing broken. Thank you, God. All right, let's go ahead and move to June 3rd. Our last reading for today, 2 Timothy 1.7, Kenny Copeland. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Isn't that beautiful? We don't have fear over sin no more, to condemnation, to We have the spirit of power. We have the spirit of love, a good confidence, joy, and that God is in control. He's forgiven us, and we can feel it. So let's go get on with this day with joy and confidence. Here we go. What would you think if I told you you could live without fear? Would you believe me if I said that despite what you saw on the news tonight, you could be perfectly at peace? Impossible? Unrealistic? No. 
You see, fear isn't just a reaction to external circumstances. It's a spiritual force. It begins inside of you, and it is totally destructive. In fact, fear is Satan's primary weapon. He moves in response to fear. The way God moves in response to faith, he challenges the promises of God with it. Again, the way God moves in response to faith, he challenges the promises of God with it. An excellent example of this is found in Matthew 14, when Jesus invited Peter to come to him on the water. But when he, Peter, saw the wind boistering, he was afraid and began to sink. He cried, saying, Lord, save me. What enabled Peter to walk on the water? His faith in the word of Jesus. What caused Peter to sink? He saw the wind boistering, and he was afraid. It wasn't the wind that defeated him. It was his fear of it. He looked at his circumstance, gave it to in to the fear, and the result was defeat. If Peter had kept his focus on Jesus, his faith would not have wavered. All the blustering and blowing in the world couldn't have drawn him off course. Faith is developed by meditating on God's word. Fear is developed by meditating on Satan's lies. Such fearful meditation is called worrying. Don't do it. The word of God is the sword of the spirit. Use it to fight Satan every time he comes against you. Hold up your shield of faith and quench all the f- of his fiery darts. Speak words of faith and fear will depart. Amen. Let's go ahead and read 2 Timothy 1.7 once again in our New Living Testament. See if it has a commentary on it because of this. 1 Timothy 1.7. 2 Timothy 1.7. Thank you so much for coming on today. We're filling up our buckets full of faith by listening and meditating on this word. And you know the amazing miracle thing about it? It's all, this is all we need. Just to listen and understand. Listen and allow it to go deep in your heart. The words of God. That is the transformation power of your honesty and willingness and open-mindedness to let the word sink in deeply. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, Again, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but a power and of love and self-discipline. Amen. So self-discipline, which is confidence, and that's what we're having right now, folks. We're having confidence and joy in how we're conversing with each other. Paul told Timothy not to let his weakness stop him from ministering to others. His success was not based on his ability, skill, or courage. It was based on the Holy Spirit's power working in him. Likewise, we don't have the inherited strength, courage, and self-discipline we need to live the kind of lives God calls us to live. But we do have the Holy Spirit living in us.
It is the power that makes us able to live the lives and enjoy the spiritual growth God has called us to experience. Amen. One of the things, too, if you have fear, again, start thanking and praising God for the fear because all we're doing is we're, we're rejoicing in the victory that is going to be diminished because we have faith in the power of God. It makes a lot of sense to me that, that we start praising and thanking God for the fear because we're going to see God diminish this. We're already celebrating ahead of time. We're, our faith is already saying, Hoo-hoo, thank you, fear. You have just pushed me into the kingdom of God. You have just pushed me into uh, knowing what the answer is. The answer has come down from the ages to all the people. And now I get the answer again. That what is the answer to fear? Praise and worship. That the blood of Jesus Christ, the sacrifice on the cross, is bigger, stronger, and liberating over fear, fear of finances, fear of habits. One of the habits we want to get intact is the fear, is the habit of praising God for our circumstances. You know, just giving it to God, turning it over, become good turnovers, turnips, turnips. Let us become the turnip club. (laughs) Turn it over, turn it up. Turn it to God. Here we go. Psalm 27. Let's meditate on this. Now, before I read Psalm 27, I want you to pay close attention to Scriptures 11 through 14. Okay? Because temptations press in around us, we need to learn how God wants us to act in the midst of such pressure. He wants us to become the stabilizing factor in our lives. Apart from him, we have no power against the things that once put us in bondage. We must determine one day at a time to follow God patiently and confidently, waiting for him to protect us and lead us. Now, another commentary is on verses 1 through 6. On there, Let's go ahead and read the whole thing before I get into that one. Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation, so why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress protecting me from danger, so why should I tremble? When evil evil people come to devour me, when my enemies and foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though a mighty army surrounds me, my heart will not be afraid. Even if I am attacked, I will remain confident. The one thing I ask of the Lord, the one thing I seek most, is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Delight in the Lord's perfection and meditating in His temple. For He will conceal me there when trouble comes. He will hide me in His sanctuary. He will place me out of reach on a high rock. Then I will hold my head high above my enemies who surround me. At his sanctuary, I will offer sacrifices with shouts of joy, singing and praising the Lord with music. Hear me as I pray, O Lord. Be merciful and answer me. My heart has heard you say, Come and talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, I am coming. 
Do not turn your back on me. Do not reject your servant in anger. You have always been my helper. Don't leave me now. Don't abandon me, O God of my salvation. Even if my father and my mother abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. Teach me how to live, O Lord. Lead me along the right path. For my enemies are waiting for me. Do not let me fall into their hands, for they accuse me of things I never done. With every breath they threaten me with violence. Yet I am confident I will see the Lord's goodness while I am here in the land of the living. Wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. Amen. You know, this one scripture for the last 40 years has always intrigued me. It says, yet I am confident. I will see the Lord's goodness while I'm here in the land of the living. Isn't that what we all want when we're disconnected from the Father? We just want to be connected with Him. And we want signs of goodness. Signs that are good. That letting us know that the goodness of the Lord, is, the goodness we have, is coming from Him. Amen. Now something about meditation. Moving on right here. Uh, according to the Recovery Bible, step 11 is I sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God, praying only for knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry that out. You know, I, I have gone to Bible studies. I, I have gone to Bible college. I have gone to Lynchburg, Virginia, corresponding course of Bible studies. I have done other corresponding courses trying to get more of the Word of God. But only in the 12-step movement do they have this scripture, excuse me, this read daily. This particular step, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God, praying only for knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry that out. That's one of the tenets. That's one of the principles. That's one of the steps to be in right standing in membership. And this blows away a lot of colleges of their theology. They have their mission statements and so forth. This right here is, is amazed me to see it and understand it in the 12-step circles. To see tradition one, you know, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon AA unity. What does that tell you when I say that in a Christian circles? You know, it says the love of God, the unity, take care of yourself at home, watch what you see, come to the meetings, to the Bible studies with a clear mind, well-rested, ready to learn, open-minded. That's what the first tradition tells me. That's what it told me after years of seeking all those Bible places I told you about. When I saw this for this, it's almost going to a Bible college, folks. We talk about God. We pray about God. We see how differently each one is receiving goodness from God from the other side and how well their lives are running. And we stay in love and concern for each other. It certainly is an incredible movement of God. 
where love is and where unity is, there's 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 God. So I don't knock a lot of other places. They may be using God and so forth. That's fine and dandy, but we got new converts coming in every day. How about you? Are you talking to new people? Are you helping people read books and stuff and praying with them and being their friends? We're, we have so much work to do in this area. Our founders, back in 1935, says, I mean, which, if you go northwest, there's thousands of people dying because of diseases of alcoholism, drug abuse, and so there's. You have to have organized section where you can talk to them. And where we are organized better than the military. Our, our distribution systems that we have for the, for the books and materials just boggles the imagination. The organizations and the level of service. And they all come back to one thing. Service the newcomer without pay freely. You know, it's God has fr- freely given to us. We freely receive. We freely give. We're, they, that institution has to be running more on God's terms than on anything else. The contributions that we do goes to pay for the rent, the coffee, the books, the literature, to keep the lights on. And it goes to the other arms to reach into the jails and institutions with printed material we keep our international office open so they can translate and then translate the books into and send it off to other countries and have a, you know, a, a office where we can, I ordered a, a Russian book in Alcoholic Anonymous from, from New York, New York, from our office. I mean, where can you do, where can you possibly get that? I had a Russian you know, sponsee, an 18-year-old, teaching them the ropes. That, you know, I'm talking to him in Spanish. He's talking to me in Russian, and I'm thinking in English. <laughs> okay, there was one more point I wanted to talk about. The fact is that this is a theology. The 12-step movement is a theology. They say, turn it over, give it to God. But for the grace of God is one of our slogans. We're the buts. He gives us grace. Understand the goodness. Amen. Okay, this recovery Bible has to say about, it calls it thirst for God. Bible reading. Psalms 27, 1 through 6. We sought through prayer meditation to improve our conscious contact with God Praying only for knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry that out. Can you imagine what that verse says? Praying only for knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry it out. If you read the whole chapter in the 12th and 12th in its entirety, it says over and over again, you don't understand how to pray for others. Just say, May God's will be done for them. May God's will be done for them. And God's, we know ultimately that God's will is, is better than, than what we think is, they should be an application on them. Psalm 27 verses 1 through 6 again. The Lord is my light and my salvation, so why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress protecting me from danger, so why should I tremble? 
when evil people come to devour me, when my enemies and my foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though a mighty army surrounds me, my heart will not be afraid. Even if I am attacked, I will remain confident. The one thing I ask of the Lord, the one thing I seek most, is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfection and meditating in His temple. For He will conceal me there when trouble comes. He will hide me in His sanctuary. He will place me out of reach on a high rock. Then I will hold my head high above my enemies who surround me. At His sanctuary, I will offer sacrifices with shouts of joy, singing and praising the Lord with music. Amen. That's what I'm going to do in my walk. I'm going to praise the Lord and thank Him for His great mercy, grace. Most of us initially turn to God for the help He can give us, namely, His power to free us from the power of our dependencies. We may be surprised to find that as time passes, we turn to God out of a desire to be near Him. As we discover how wonderful He is and how much He loves us, we draw near to Him because of the joys we experience in His presence. King David gave us a glimpse into his relationship with God, saying, The one thing I ask of the Lord, the one thing I seek most, is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfection and meditating in His temple. For He will conceal me there when trouble comes. He will hide me in His sanctuary. He will place me out of reach on a high rock. Then I will hold my head high above my enemies who surround me. At His sanctuary I will offer sacrifices with shouts of joy, singing and praising the Lord with music. Psalms 27, 4 and 6. David found great joy by improving his conscious contact with God. God is always there, but we are not always aware of His presence. Our relationship with God usually begins with His meeting our desperate needs. But when we begin to focus on getting to know God as an end in itself, we will discover that He will give us what we have always desired, the joy of being close to our loving Creator. Then we will see that He can be trusted with every area of our lives. Amen and amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you, make His face to shine upon you, be gracious unto you, lift up His counts and give you peace. May He smile on you and be your loving best friend as you walk along together, singing and rejoicing and thanking God for His salvation. Amen. Let's get excited about this, folks. We win. Victory is ours in Christ Jesus. That's the way it is. Don't moan and groan. Just act like it. Fire up the music. Crank it up. Get excited. We have nothing to lose and everything to gain. I love you. We're listening to Barbara O'Neill from Australia. She's talking about the part in the brain that communicates with God. It's really interesting. Let's pray. God, we offer ourselves to you that you may build with us and do with us as you would. 
Relieve us from bondage of self that we may better do your will. Take away our difficulties that victory over them may bear witness to those we would help with thy power, thy love, of thy way of life. May we do thy will always. Amen. It is in this part of the brain where God communicates with man. You can rewire your brain, show you how you can actually change even the way that you think. Isn't that good news? These pathways are built in our brain. We can rewire our brain. Right up until the day we die, we can rewire our brain. When you have a look at the head, you will see seven avenues of access into the brain. There are two ears, there are two eyes, there are two nostrils, and there is a mouth. Everything we hear or have ever heard, everything we see or have ever seen, everything we smell, and everything that goes into our mouth, whether it be food or drink, has an effect on the brain. Our decisions determine our destiny. So how important that we know something about the decision-making part of our brain. This is an area that many people are ignorant. So we're going to begin by looking at the brain. Now the brain, from side on, it looks a little bit like this. And there is what's called the limbic system. And the limbic system basically takes up about that part of the brain. And this limbic system is often called the emotional brain. And I think we all know about emotions. And I think we all know that emotions aren't a very good guide because they go up and down like the wind. But there's another part of our brain that God designed to actually control that limbic system, that emotional part of the brain. So to do this, we're going to have a look at the brain from top down. From top down, you will have a look at the brain like this. And in the front part of the brain, and we're going to call this the right side of the brain and the left side of the brain. And I think the way you're looking, it is. So in the right part of the brain, you could call that the I won't section. That's down there. Now, this is a very important part of the brain. Where it's very important is, no, I won't have that cigarette. No, I won't have that cup of coffee. No, I won't have that big state. I'll have a bowl of lentils instead. And on the left part of the brain, is the I will. And the I will part of the brain is also very important because I will get out of bed and exercise this morning. I will go to bed early. I will make decisions that are helpful for my body. So you've got the I won't and you've got the I will. And we need a little bit of balance in there and that's where we come to. Right in the centre is the I want part of the brain. What do I want? Do I want a healthy body? And if I want a healthy body, then I can trigger the, I won't do that, or I will do that. And God designed our brain so that this part of the brain, just here in the center, is where our goals are. It's called the prefrontal cortex, or sometimes it's called the frontal lobe. And this is where our will is. This is where we make our decisions and it made a and the I will or the I want threaded through the 
won't, through the, through the I want. That's actually what should govern our decisions. And that's so important because our decisions determine our destiny. So in the front part of the brain, this is where our intellect is. This is where our reasoning powers reside. And this is where judgment takes place. It is in this part of the brain where God communicates with man. In Isaiah 1.18, the Bible says, come, let us reason together. You see, this, this is where the reasoning happens. What should I do? Should I stay in bed and have another hour? Or should I get out of bed right now? And that influences whether we do the I will or the I want. That's the way God planned it. Unfortunately, there are many things today that people are doing that are actually clouding or compromising the part where our goals are, the part where our intellect, reason and judgment is. And we've been looking at that this week, though I haven't actually defined it as such. So dehydration compromises it, late nights compromise it, lack of exercise compromises it, bad food compromises it. Bad air compromises it. So on the other hand, when we're well hydrated, when we're well slept, when we've got nourishing food in our bodies, when we're breathing in fresh air, we're having sunshine every day, then the I want part, in fact, one author called it the guardian. That's the guardian that's actually influences the wills and the wants part of the brain, which are, of course, affected by the limbic system, which is your your emotional, your feeling part of the brain. I'd like to use as my framework the seven mental laws that govern the brain and show you how you can rewire your brain, show you how you can actually change even the way that you think. Isn't that good news? The first law is the law of cause and effect. Effect follows cause with unvarying degree all through nature and never should the effect be blamed as the cause. I had a lady come to me and she said, I found the cause of all my problems. I've got chronic fatigue syndrome. I said, no, 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 that's not the cause of all your problems. That's actually the effect. <laughs> Even when someone says, I've got depression. Do you know you can't just get depression? Depression is actually an effect. It is not a cause. Dehydration affects depression. <laughs> Late nights, depression effectively. It's Newton's third law of motion. To every action, there is an equal and an opposite reaction. Proverbs 26 verse 2 states that the curse causeless shall not come. You know what that means? No problem happens without a cause. There is always a reason. In fact, to say someone just has something is to defy basic science. So we should always be looking at the cause of a problem. And sometimes the problem for depression could be too much coffee dehydration. So that's the best place to start. When someone comes to me wanting help with depression, do you know that's what I do? I said, start drinking more water. Start easing off your coffee. You could stop your coffee straight away, but you might suffer. A clear indication that it's not doing you any good. I say, start going to bed early. Start limiting your technology time. Start seriously assessing what you're watching and the effect it's having on your brain. Start exercising. But I don't feel like exercising. Yes, that's your limbic emotional brain. But what do you want? 
I want to feel good. I want to conquer my depression, so I will go and exercise. Can you see how that all threads into each other? The second law is the law of choice. And the law of choice, as you can see, is determined in that I want, the frontal lobe part of the brain, your guardian, where your goals are. This is what you feel like doing, but this is what you want, so that influences your decisions. And when you're well slept, well hydrated, well sunned, well exercised, well fed, that I want part of the brain is a lot stronger. But we've got something else coming here, and that's habit. You've heard of habit? <laughs> habit can be our best friends or our worst enemies. To understand habit, I'm gonna draw your brain cell. Here's your brain cell, it's your nerve cell. And we have one trillion of these in our brain. They're the dendrites or the receiving stations. And this is the arm that comes out of the nerve cell. These are the little filaments on the end. They're the boutons. Here is the next nerve cell. Our nervous system is an electrical system and it does not touch, they do not touch each other. They communicate with each other via little chemical messengers in the brain. And these little chemical messengers jump from cell to cell. So the chemical messengers come in, they're encapsulated in the nucleus and then they're sent down the arm. And they come into the boutons and then they're released out to the next nerve cells. Now those messages can be traveling anywhere between two and 200 miles an hour. Well, in a crisis, anyone that's been in a war zone, they know you're, you're, you're moving and you're moving very fast. Now, even though you're just sitting here, your brain cells can be moving fast because you're considering everything that you're hearing right now. And when you are hearing the things you're hearing, your, your, your brain is processing it through your I want. In fact, you're probably hearing some things and you're probably thinking to yourself, I won't have that coffee anymore. Or maybe you're hearing some things and you might start to say, yeah, I'm going to do that. I'm going to go to bed earlier tonight so that I can, I will get up and I will. Can you see it all threads through that? It's an amazing brain. In fact, science still doesn't totally understand the full functioning of the brain. If someone says, do you have a computer? You have. <laughs> You've got the most amazing computer on the planet, which is the brain. And did you know that everything you're hearing today you will be processing. You'll be processing through your what you want, through your goals. You'll be processing it through your intellect, reason and judgment. And you'll be putting in certain spots. And when you go to sleep tonight, when you go to sleep tonight between the hours of 9 p.m. and 2 a.m., then your brain starts processing and filing the things that you heard today. It's an amazing process. How does it know where to put it? It knows where to put it because where your, your want put it. So if you hear that coffee's no good, in fact, it interferes with those neurotransmitters in the, in the brain causing a chemical imbalance in the brain. If you hear that and you think, well, I don't care. I want my coffee. I will have it. When you go to bed tonight, it's gonna to put it in the spot. I will continue to have it. You see that? God gave us a wonderful thing when he gave us choice. You see, God is not in every man. You would never say God was in Hitler, Mugabe, Stalin. No, no, no. God gave mankind choice. 
And what a gamble is that? You see, God is a gentleman. He will never force entry. In Revelations 3 verse 20, there's a lovely illustration. It shows God standing at the door and knocking. He says, and if, he said, behold, I stand at your door and knock. And if any man hear my voice and opens the door, he said, I'll come in. How do we open the door? It's right here. What do you want? I will open that door. He will come in. I won't open that door. I want to do my own thing. It says, okay. He's a gentleman. But it does explain the heartache that we see on planet Earth. Some people say, how could God allow that to happen? Unfortunately, God gave mankind choice. He didn't want robots. Do you want people to love you because they choose to love you or they've got to love that person? It doesn't happen. In fact, there's a name for forced love and that is rape. In fact, there's no love there at all. No, God is a gentleman. He woozes, he knocks. No, he knocks. And God wants us to hear and open the door according to reason, intellect and judgment. That makes sense. When you get to know a person, what do you do? You spend time with them. You tell them your life. You listen. How do you listen to God? Do you know when he speaks to us? Very early in the morning. So how do you hear that voice? You have to go to bed? early the night before and there's a verse that's in Isaiah 50 verse 4 it says the Lord God hath given me the tongue of the learned that I may know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary he wakeneth morning by morning he wakeneth my ear to hear as the learned I love those early early hours of the morning we've got to do our part God gave us choice and one choice that can free human beings from much heartache is the choice to forgive. Let me tell you the story of a man who came to us. His name was Doug. I said, did you have a healthy, happy childhood? He said, no, I didn't. My father yelled at me all my life. He was 40. He had prostate cancer. I said to him, oh, sometimes that's all you can say. Oh. I kept moving on because I could see it really irritated him. I talked to him later after the lecture. I said, Doug, you've heard about the power of forgiveness. Have you forgiven? You don't understand. He yelled at me all my life. I said, I can understand. That must have been very, very hard, Doug. But you've got quite a serious illness now. And, and I believe that for you to heal, you need to forgive your father. You don't understand. He And he was... His voice was rising. I changed the subject. Two minutes later, Doug said to me, 